Nine years ago today, I had surgery. Uh, I was shaving one morning. I had found a lump on my neck, and I knew that uh, my dad had leukemia, and that one of the outward invisible signs of his disease, especially in the late stages, was his lymph nodes began to swell, and, and you could see it most noticeably in his neck. And so I found this lump on the side of my neck, and I was really kind of worried about it. And I thought, you know, if, um, if that's not gone by s- Sunday, I'm going to make an appointment on Monday morning to go to the doctor. So I went to the doctor, and, and they began to treat me for an infection. They said, you know, we'll just give you some antibiotics, and if that's what's going on here, that lump will go away, and, and it didn't. And um, So they gave me some more high-powered antibiotics, and the lump still didn't go away. And finally they decided to, we got to go in and take out those lymph nodes and see what's, what's going on. And two days later, uh, I was diagnosed with cancer. And I found out after that that it was tonsil cancer. I'd never even heard of it before. Uh, What followed was seven weeks of daily radiation and concurrent chemotherapy. And um, my throat got so sore, so raw that I couldn't swallow. I couldn't eat. Uh, Ended up losing about 40 pounds that I didn't really have to lose. They put a feeding tube in me. And um, it was rough. It was rough. I'd like to tell you that during that whole time that my faith never once wavered. (laughs) I'd like to tell you that. (laughs) I'd like to tell you that I never cried. I'd like to tell you that I never doubted. I'd like to tell you that I never worried. But I did. And I've been here long enough now that I know some of your stories. I don't know all of your stories. uh, But I know some of your stories. And I know that... uh, that for many of us, uh, there's already come a time in our lives, and if you haven't experienced this yet, there's a really good chance that you will, that something's going to happen in your life that's just going to rock your world. Something is going to happen in your life, whether it's inside your control or outside of your control, that's going to leave you wavering and crying and doubting and worrying. If you haven't already, there's probably going to come a day where it's going to be uncertain time and and uncharted territory where you just feel like you are surrounded in darkness and fear. And it won't be easy. And there won't be many guarantees. I don't know if you're ready to believe it or not, or you may not believe me now, and you may not believe it then, but I do think there are some guarantees that can be found in the midst of those uncertain moments in our lives. And one of the things that I would suggest to you that you can be guaranteed of, you may not be able to believe it now, but uh, that there is no place where God is not. There is no place where God is not. Now, in a room this size, there's somebody here that said, now, wait a minute, preacher, that sounds great in a sermon, but you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've experienced. You don't know the uncertainty that I have faced. I can assure you that in those times that I'm thinking about right now, I didn't see God anywhere. So this whole preaching business about there is no place where God is not, well, that sounds great when you're standing up there where you are but it was not true for me. There is no guarantee in what you just said. 
And I would say, I'm not going to discount or dismiss what you experienced in the midst of your own uncertain time where you were unable to see God. I don't doubt that you were unable to see God, but that's why I would offer you a second guarantee. The first being, there is no place where God is not. The second guarantee is that God's presence in our lives doesn't depend upon our perception of it. That God's presence in our lives does not depend upon our perception of it. So you may have had this awful experience, this uncertain and uncharted time in your life where you were unable to see God's presence and you were looking, you were looking frantically for it. I would still suggest to you that there is no place where God is not and that God's presence in our lives doesn't depend upon our perception of it. So even as dark as that time was in your life, even as absent as God seemed, I believe that God was there. I believe that we have to let go of looking for that certainty all the time and instead cultivate this kind of faith that really believes that when Scripture says, I am with you always, that Jesus really meant it when He said it. I believe that we need to cultivate this faith. And if we do, then we will find to be true what the Apostle Paul says is true later on in 2 Corinthians when he says we are able to walk by faith and not by sight. Walk by faith and not by sight. You know, these kind of unsettling experiences that we have in life, these moments where we're surrounded by uncertainty, they remind us that certainty and faith aren't the same things. They're just simply not the same thing. Faith is not this magic wand that we can just wave that will make everything easier or everything better, that will spare us from life's pain or life's difficult moments. And having faith um, doesn't mean that we will always have certainty. In fact, the Scripture is full of people that, that experienced uncertainty, but nevertheless had a strong and vibrant faith. Just think through the pages of Scripture. There are stories like the story of Ruth, and the story of Esther, and the story of Abraham, and the story of Moses, and the story of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Even Jesus Himself, all of these people are credited with having an amazing faith, and yet all of them at various points in their lives experienced great uncertainty. And the truth of the matter is, it's the people that uh, claim to have the most certainty in the Scripture that don't always end up looking so good at the end. You remember the story of Job, Job's friends? You know, the Scripture says that Job was this righteous man who trusted in God, and, and, and apparently uh, Satan and God are having a conversation in heaven. And Satan says to God, you know why your boy Job trusts you so much? You know why he's such a righteous person? It's because you give him all kinds of stuff. And if you just take away that stuff from your boy Job, I guarantee you you'd find that he wouldn't be trusting. He'd no longer be that righteous. 
And so God says to Satan, I think you're underestimating my boy Job. So I'll tell you what, I'll let you test him in whatever way you want to. Just don't kill him. But I'll let you have your way with him for a while. And so we're told that Satan takes away all of Job's possessions, uh, uh, all of his, a lot of the people that he loved, all of his servants, and even uh, impacted in a negative way Job's own health. And still we're told that Job trusted God. Well, then Job's friends show up. And Job's friends are certain that they know what's going on. Job's friends think that they are the resident theologians, that they understand why people suffer and why bad things happen to people. And and Job's friends are certain that the reason all of this stuff is happening to Job is because he is being punished by God for some sin of his. They're certain of it but they're wrong. Or what about the Pharisees? You remember the Pharisees in Scripture? The word Pharisees means separated or set apart. The Pharisees believed that they were set apart or separated from all of the irreligious people or the impure people in their community. These Pharisees were meticulous in adhering to the Torah, the law. And and not only did they think that they were experts on this law, they also claimed that they had received the oral Torah. That when they were on Mount Sinai, they were actually told by God how to rightly interpret every law that exists in the Torah. And so if you wanted to know with certainty what the laws in the Torah meant and how they should be interpreted, all you had to do was ask a Pharisee and they would be happy to clear the matter up for you. They were certain that they knew the answers. Except when Jesus pointed out that they were wrong. And what about Saul, who ended up becoming Paul? You remember Saul, before he became one of the greatest evangelists for the Christian church, he was a persecutor of all people of the way. We're told that he ravaged churches whenever he found them, gatherings of people who believed in Jesus. We're told that he would go into people's homes and that he would drag them out of their homes if they were believers in Christ and that he would take them to prison and that he would threaten people who claimed that Jesus was the Messiah with death because he was certain of one thing and that's that Jesus was a false Messiah, that Jesus was not who he said he was. He was certain of it, but he was wrong. So what the Scripture seems to say to us is that certainty in faith cannot be equated. In fact, certainty is the opposite of faith. It's not only not faith, it is the opposite of faith. But boy, don't we want certainty. (laughs) Don't we just really want some certainty? I mean, that's why when we're in the middle of an uncertain time, when we're unsure about what to do, that's that's why we... poll other people, hey, what would you do in this situation? Or how would you respond to this situation? Uh, if you don't know what uh, refrigerator to buy, what do you do? You go online and you look and see what other people think you should buy. We want that assurance because we just don't like uncertainty. Maybe we just want somebody with whom we can share the blame if things don't end up going well. We can say, well, Jim Clarty told me to do that. We really do want certainty. 
And we want certainty not only in our life, but we want it in faith. Because uncertainty makes us really vulnerable. And so when it comes to a matters of faith, we, we would like for there to be some place where we could go where uh, all of the answers were there and, and, and they were crystal clear and they were black and white, that there was a definite right and a definite wrong. We would love for that kind of certainty in our faith, but that's not how faith works. Faith is the opposite of certainty. In our scripture lesson this morning, 1 Corinthians 13, you've heard it read at every wedding you've ever been to, right? It talks a lot about love. That's obviously the central component of the passage. And yet, there were two verses near the end of that scripture that really stand out to me as being a, a, an example of, of what I'm trying to, the point I'm trying to make here this morning. Paul seems to suggest as he gets down to the end of that chapter on love that the greater our need for certainty, the higher our immaturity is as it relates to faith. And he talks about how that when you're a child, you act like a child, and you walk like a child, talk like a child, eat like a child, you do everything like a child. But at some point, you you have to grow up, and you become an adult. And, And once you become an adult, you put away those childish things. You know, a child, you can pretty much tell a child anything, and they'll believe it. They just accept it as true. You know, it's just certain. And yet, as we get older, we begin to realize that life's not that simple that things aren't that certain, that there are a lot of gray areas in life, that there are a lot of questions that we just don't know the answers to on this side of eternity. We realize how little we do know about life and about how God is at work in the world. And we come to grips with the reality that you're going to have to get used to uncertain times and uncertain moments in life. But we'd still prefer certainty, wouldn't we? I mean, we'd like to be able to write the script of our lives, and we'd like to make sure that there are no difficult circumstances, definitely no defeats, no losses, no sorrows, no heartache. We would really love it if we could write that script so that that's the way that life would, would, would be for us. But the paradox is is that the next milestone or the next miracle that God may seek to do or want to do in our lives is totally dependent upon the uncertainty that we experience in the present moment. That's the great paradox. We don't want this uncertainty, but this uncertainty is the fertile ground in which God can do something new or bring about something good. Now, this doesn't make it any easier. I mean, we would rather read a book about cancer than to have to go through it, right? I'd rather learn from somebody else's experience of having had cancer than to have to go through cancer myself. And yet, it's funny how we can always look back And even in the midst of great tragedy, we're invited to see that God was still there. 
and that God uses that tragedy in so many times as a way to bring about a new miracle and a new milestone. Paul writes that love is based on trust in this chapter, not on certainty. And trust allows for growth and trust allows for change. And as we're in the midst of Memorial Day weekend and many of us are mindful of freedom, trust also allows freedom. Certainty means there's only one way. Trust means that God has freedom to work in any number of ways. And so trust and love can be developed in the midst of uncertainty. And if we are going to be the people that God created us to be, we've got to let go of this need for certainty and instead cultivate a sense of faith and a sense of trust. It's not the same as certainty. But I would argue it's even better. 